Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to John chapter 12. Just one verse, really, we're going to look at today and kind of launch from that. John chapter 12. This is something really strange that happens in the life of Jesus near the last week of His ministry, and I think it foreshadows one of the things that we're doing today. John chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 20, and we'll finish with verse 26. And I really apologize because I only have one verse up here for you to, for you to read, but uh, as I thought about it this morning, I wanted to back up a little bit. So you can put the one verse up there, we'll get to it eventually, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to start back in verse 20 if you have a device you can follow along with. Um, I think it may be printed on the back of the bulletin too. No, I didn't get that to Melissa in time. See, I'm already losing it, fighting an uphill battle this morning. That's okay, though. John 12, verse 20. Let's read along. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Man, that's a, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? I know you're not supposed to interrupt your own reading of Scripture, but I can't help but remember one of our professors, mine and Jeff's professors in seminaries. His name is Rick Holland, and he went and took over a church, I think, in Kansas, and he requested that they have this engraved in his pulpit in, in wood at the top. Sirs, we wish to see Jesus, so that he would never forget when he came to preach why he was there, to show them Jesus. I don't know if you can engrave that in metal, but that's neither here nor there. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 22. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is an interesting passage, isn't it? And here's the reason why. Because um, they didn't know how to process this. Can you tell? They were, they were bumbling around, confused, saying, I bleh, I bleh, I bleh. there's some Gentiles and Greeks that want to see Jesus. What do we do? I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. Go to, should we tell them? Should we ask them? They thought Jesus was on a mission to his people only, the Jews. So, you know, Philip asked Andrew, Andrew asked Philip, and they went together and asked Jesus. And isn't it odd what Jesus said? I mean, Jesus always answered questions strangely, didn't he? Why in the world would he bring up seeds, death, dying, harvest? What's this got to do with Greeks wanting to see Jesus? This is a little bit of foreshadowing in the Gospel of John. This is Jesus saying, oh yes, Gentiles, Gentiles will meet me, and Greeks will meet me, and Persians will meet me. But it's going to be very costly to get this message to them. It's going to be very costly for them to see me. And I think that was foreshadowing what it would cost ultimately to take the gospel from the central hub in Jerusalem, as we'll see a little bit later in the service, in the message, and take it all the way to the ends of the earth. It's costly. That's why he brings up seeds, scattering, harvest. Farmers during um, the Great Depression in the 1930s, farmers who lived in Oklahoma were faced with an excruciating choice. I read about this last week. You remember the Great Dust Bowl era, that 10-year period in the Great Plains, like the Midwestern central states? There were like a, a hundred million acres 
of, uh, of plains that were over-farmed, they were overgrazed. and there was a severe drought, there was even a famine, and all these mighty winds began to sweep across the plain, and the unanchored dirt would be picked up, and these great storms, these dust bowls, there were over 400 storms recorded and documented, and it would take all this dirt, and it would sweep it all the way to the east. I read where 12 million pounds of sand was dumped on Chicago during the Great Dust Bowl. And farmers couldn't, couldn't make ends meet. They couldn't do anything. In fact, that caused about 500,000 Americans to be homeless. And about 400,000 farmers left their, their farmlands, left their homesteads, and they traveled west to California looking for new opportunities. And of course, the Great Depression hit during that time, so they didn't find any. That's why John Steinbeck wrote that book, The Grapes of Wrath, that documented that era, that novel did. 75% of the topsoil had been eroded, and they didn't know what to do. But some of those farmers did stay, and they were faced with this excruciating decision. See, the grain that they had from the last harvest was also the seed they needed to plant to produce a new harvest, but they didn't have any faith at all that, that if they planted these seeds, they would grow. So they had just enough grain to feed themselves, their wives, and their children for about another year. So here's their dilemma. Do they take that precious grain and plant it in the dirt in faith and pray that God would yield a harvest? Or do they crush it up, make flour, make bread, and live for about another year and then kaput, that's it? What do they do? What would you do if you were facing that decision? Do you take this seed and you consume it and it's gone? Or do you take the seed and you plant it in the earth, it dies, it germinates, it sprouts and yields a harvest? Some of those farmers chose to plant that seed and they prayed for rain. You know what? Rain came. Rain came in 1939 and 1940 and an entire abundance of, of crops uh, came and harvested more livelihood for those farmers. And you can't help but think of that as those farmers planted their last bags of grain and remember that planting always involves a risk. Planting is costly. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the text says. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Yo, you can consume it. You can crush it up, make flour, bake some bread, eat it, enjoy yourself, get some carbs, some carbohydrates, and some gluten, and then kaput, that's it. Or you can take the sacrifice. You can do the costly thing. You can take the risk. You can plant this in the ground. And yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will be risky. Yes, it will hurt. Planting always hurts. But if you don't, you're not going to have a harvest. And that's what Jesus talks about here. In fact, that's our outline, really short outline today. Extending our reach, we're extending our reach to Ormond by the Sea, and we're going to plant, actually replant a church that's already in existence there, um, but they need some fresh blood pumped into their veins, and so we're sending Pastor Jeff and Lauren and two other families to extend the reach of the gospel. And uh, three points today. Sending is costly, number one. Secondly, sending is critical. And third, sending is Christian. That's normal. That shouldn't be abnormal. Of course, we celebrate it, and we have a special service, but this is the normal thing for Christians to do. This should be the normal thing for churches to do. We ought to be doing this all the time. God didn't just put us here to accumulate and grow bigger and have bigger budgets and have bigger buildings. It's good if that happens in the process. And I'll confess to you as your pastor, I want every seat in here filled. I want the balconies filled. I want to have to buy a new building. I want millions of people to come. And yeah, is, is, is my uh, selfish desires and, and sinful, godless ambition mixed in with that sum? I'm sure it is. I don't know how to separate that. Um, but sometimes when you're on mission, God grows your church, and that's a glorious thing. Sometimes um, you stay smaller. 
Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to sin. We're going to do the costly thing. We're going to take the risk. We're going to trust God, and we're going to sin. Francis Chan said this one time. Check this out. He said, Christians are like manure. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? Christians are like manure. If you spread them out everywhere, they help everything grow, and they fertilize, and everything flourishes. But if you just accumulate and pile up a whole bunch of Christians in one place, they stink, and they don't do anything. It's an eyesore. It's a no-sore. Um, you don't want to have any... I grew up on a farm, so I know exactly what Francis Chan meant, meant. And that's true. That is true. Christians need to spread. God is a sending God. He's not a stingy God. He's not a God who hoards things.